What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by a very special guest, Jim Hunter. So if you've heard the spaces recently, Jim is a futures broker, and he is also an expert in the precious metals, especially silver. So we get into a great conversation about how he got there, the benefits of futures, and much, much more. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is not financial advice and should never be taken as financial advice. So please, please, please do your own due diligence, do your own research, and realize that this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and is only the opinion of Jim and myself. Now, let's get into the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, and I'd like to thank everybody listening on to Podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Fountain and Streaming Me Sats and doing all that kind of stuff. But wherever you get podcasts, feel free to subscribe. Uh, also, look forward for my YouTube because I'm putting up a lot more clips and everything like that. So just go ahead and search Green Candle on YouTube there. But I've got a very special guest. If you've been on the Tuesday Night Spaces recently, I'm sure you've heard him. We got Jim here. Jim, how are we doing today? I'm doing just great, Green Candle. Thank you very much. Yeah, so Jim, um, I kind of refer to you as my uh, futures and kind of uh, precious metals guy these days. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you're at today? I uh, responded to a postcard in the uh, mail that I received. I'm from the Twin Cities, which is St. Paul, Minnesota. And the postcard was from a futures broker that later became a friend of mine. And uh, it was basically uh, the type of uh, postcard that I wouldn't have been used to, or I wouldn't have thought that it made any sense. But basically what it was, it was uh, a postcard to uh, offer uh, a lifelong if it would work, a lifelong income stream from a, a set amount of money, analogous to maybe like an annuity or something like that. So I responded to the uh, postcard. I went and I met the gentleman and uh, I thought that this could be an interesting business. I was in my uh, probably mid to late 20s, I would say at the time. And uh, I traded for a little while and then I figured I really liked buying and selling. So I took the class for licensure and uh, became a broker in 1986. I was in a, an office in the Minneapolis Grain Exchange that was uh, well experienced with professional brokers that had been brokers a long time, along with the friend of mine that I had responded to his postcard. He then uh, moved to San Francisco to manage another office in San Francisco with a colleague of his. And uh, so I, uh, Decided to join the office in Minneapolis where he was, where he had been trading. And uh, I started there in, I believe it was June of 1986. So I learned uh, about the different uh, months, learned about delivery, learned a lot about grains and uh, livestock. And uh, one or two of the guys were metals guys. And I really learned a lot about metals from them. One uh, friend of mine in particular sat behind me one row, uh, two rows behind me. He taught me options, both buying and selling options, and I learned well, and uh, I have turned that lesson from my friend Rob into a, a decades-long ability to 
uh, do covered call strategies, covered put strategies, or short strangle strategies. Basically, buying a futures and selling an out-of-the-money call, selling a futures and selling a below-the-money put, below-the-market put, or selling an out-of-the-money call and an out-of-the-money put at the same time. That's short strangle. And it's been, it's been really good for a long time. And uh, I've been active on Twitter for several years. And uh, my ability to answer questions, explain, give examples, that kind of thing has, uh, I think, helped many people understand a little bit about futures, uh, Brandon. And the other thing is that there's a bunch of people on Twitter, too many people on Twitter that think they really know what they're talking about. And they spread a lot of uh, misaccurate information. And uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to correct some of that as well. So that's kind of how I got. I moved to uh, uh, from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, to um, the Tri-Cities of Florida. They don't call it that, but Tampa, Clearwater, St. Petersburg, uh, after I came to visit a friend of mine in January of 1995. And uh, I landed at St. Pete Airport, not Tampa, but St. Pete. And uh, he took me to Clearwater Beach in January. It was 72 degrees. I went home and sold my house. So I've been in uh, St. Petersburg ever since and uh, been a broker since 1986. And I've got a few years left in me to help people to, you know, be a broker representative for them, help them uh, learn the right way if they're interested in learning about trading, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's great to hear from you because, I mean, I think we, we talked about this briefly, but we're both uh, in the Tampa Bay area. So you're you're in St. Pete. I'm in Tampa. So we're about a half hour away, 35, yeah, yeah, 35 40 far. minutes. Away. Yeah, not too far at all. And uh, enjoying this nice winter weather, right? And, uh, 70s where, I'm, and sunny out. Where, where I'm from, they had six to eight inches of snow two days ago. So man, man, it's fun to call back and tease a few old friends. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, I think it's really interesting. You started all this from a postcard. You know, I, I think like, you know, it just speaks to the differences in, in the time now, not to try to date you or anything. But I feel if I were to get a postcard in the mail right now or an email about something like this, I'm, my red flags would be going off thinking that this is a scam immediately. So I, I agree. Mean, Mark, marketing is sure changed. I agree with that. But I think Twitter helps because Twitter lets you answer uh, another uh, Twitter account's questions. And if you can answer their questions, you can build a little rapport that way. Certainly, it's, it helps if the uh, answers or the explanations are factual or truthful in nature. And uh, I think that a lot of people, uh, Brandon, when you're talking about returns on investment, I think uh, people have been burned you know, with stock market crashes. People have been burned with uh, fixed income rates coming from, you know, uh, I'm older than you are. I remember when CDs used to be seven and eight percent returns, passbook savings. That's what, you know, they were called when I was a kid. Uh, it was a account. They were four and a half percent returns. Well, that is nonsense. You can't get four and a half percent returns, although some some of the money markets are, you know, squeaking up a bit. We'll talk a little bit about different asset classes, fixed income a little bit more in the uh, podcast here today yeah for sure so i mean you know you've been through a few different market cycles and, and other things like that 
So, I mean, obviously there's an, it's an interesting dynamic we got going on right now with, you know, extreme volatility and everything like that. So, you know, ha has your approach changed to, uh, in any way, um, you know, during this kind of uh, crazy cycle we got going on? And if so, you know, how has it changed? One interesting thing that people can watch uh, firsthand in the morning that has become very important to moving asset classes, asset classes, meaning, you know, equities or fixed income or, you know, commodities, metals, um, you know, foreign currencies. One report that comes out monthly is the monthly unemployment report. We'll get the unemployment rate for the uh, month of November. We'll also get how many jobs were created. And the interesting thing is that it's a, it seems to be a guess for the jobs, Brandon, because they seem to revise it for the next month or two. They'll go back one or two months. So maybe, uh, the first um, Friday of January, when they're re releasing the December, they might go back and actually, you know, re-advise or, or give us an update, an updated uh, November jobs uh, created report at that time, the first Friday of January. Happens on the first Friday of every month. Once in a while, they'll defer until the following Friday if there's a holiday or something like that. So like if tomorrow was Veterans Day or Christmas Eve or something like that, uh, it wouldn't be Christmas Eve, the first Friday of the month, but if it was Veterans Day or another holiday, they might defer. But most often, you know, probably 10 out of 12 calendar months, it happens on the first Friday of the month. And uh, people can watch that at 8.30 Eastern or 7.30 Central on whatever business channel they want. They'll all release it real time. And uh, if you've got, uh, I watch Fox Business uh, on, uh, on Office TV here, and you can immediately see that the uh, S&P 500, the NASDAQ, um, maybe the price of gold, maybe the price of silver, maybe the value of the US dollar gets affected every month with these government reports. And tomorrow's report is a pretty big one. Another big one is a quarterly you know, GDP report. And uh, that can affect things too. So in answer to your question, things have changed because more people since the mid 90s uh, have home computers, they have cable TV, so they've got business channels, they actually have more information. So that might, you would think that the more information would help the people and maybe it can help the people if they're not fully invested, if they've got money on the sidelines, kind of like, you know, in savings, short-term savings where they're looking to put that work or that money to work for them. Um, report days can be a good thing, but it can be, it can move against them if, the reports are seen as dovish and uh, that might encourage the Federal Reserve to maybe take a, a little bit of a step back. And uh, that's kind of some of the news that came out of uh, Fed Chairman Powell's uh, mouth the other evening. He said, well, maybe we can, his term was soft landing. Maybe we can get close to a soft landing. And these macro events, these uh, federal reports, government reports, the federal, uh, if they're tightening or loosening uh, short-term interest rates that they lend to banks, things like that, they move months. And uh, so it becomes a lesson in, you know, trying to preserve your trading capital for everybody. The S&P was down, you know, 8% at its low, and uh, the NASDAQ was down another 10% from that. And a lot of people are hurting. You know, a lot of people's uh, 401ks have dropped. A lot of people's investments have dropped. So I guess that uh, 
trying to answer your question, the volatility has increased as more and more people have received more, you know, the more current information. But if people are interested and if they're if they're at work and they can't get it, um, there might be something that they can put on their phone, an app on their phone that might release that uh, the jobless, the monthly jobless report uh, in real time. Or if they've got a, an app on their phone for Fox Business or something like that or CNBC, whomever they want to use or they can call a friend that's at home or their spouse that's at home or something like that. But 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, and uh, it happens in real time, monthly. Yeah, and it seems like it's not only, you know, reports like that that come out that, uh, you know, drastically kind of swing the markets, it's CPI, just kind of any of these major reports kind of seem to, to swing the market in some way, shape or form right now as more and more people are paying attention to Everything that kind of Powell and, and the Federal Reserve are, are all these numbers and metrics that kind of come out. Um, so, you know, do you take, uh, you know, any weight into that as a futures trader or are you more so just kind of, uh, you know, stick to the strategy and just kind of, uh, you know, go by your book that you've you know gone to through throughout the there's, year? There's two lessons to be learned from that question that you're asking. And one is that the news is important. But the second lesson is that the market's reaction to the news is more important than the news itself. Okay, so for example, let's say that uh, tomorrow was a Fed update uh, for December. It isn't, but uh, that'll come, I believe, uh, later this month, the mid part of the month. If the Federal Reserve is going to uh, tighten interest rates or raise interest rates again on the, on the amount of uh, the interest rate that they lend to the Federal Reserve partners, it's called the federal funds rate. So if that were to come out tomorrow, okay, and if the, if the consensus is that they're gonna raise 50 basis points or 75 basis points, but they end up not raising interest rates or they only raise 35 basis points, for example, I'm not forecasting that, but I would say that that news that comes out and, and it typically comes out around 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, it's a two day Fed meeting, on a Wednesday, it comes out around two, and he has a little uh, talk about it a half hour later on television. They get broadcast his federal uh, minute that he talks about, his uh, meeting minutes. But if that news comes out, what's more important, Brandon, than that news and that actual 50 basis points, 75 basis points, 25 basis points is what the stock market, what the bond market, what the US dollar ends up trading shortly after within You'll see it real time again, shortly after two o'clock Eastern on federal report days. You'll see uh, immediate reaction. And that is actually ends up being, you know, more important than the news itself, where people actually bet wrong. They'll bet wrong ahead of that release, thinking that they know what's going to happen and uh, will end up possibly with a stock market rally. I believe that happened, you know, after the last uh, federal FOMC release. So the stock market rallied a little bit. And uh, so I guess you're asking me about my strategies. I have strategies set up for my clients that are typically, as I mentioned, they're covered calls or uh, short strangles. So we're betting on a range where if we, uh, we don't want things to go against us too far, but we're betting on a, on a little bit longer term, maybe a, a 20 or a 40 or a 60 day trading range. And uh, hopefully in line with the trend, you know, in an uptrend or in a downtrend. In an uptrend, you'd be, uh, you know, 
long a futures and short a call. And in a downtrend, you'd be short a futures and short a put against it. And uh, those options help ensure, uh, you know, the uh, equity or the, you know, the risk capital of the client. It does limit how much you can make on the trade. But uh, the, uh, with the returns that we're getting, we can add to a winner, you know, if it's working for us, we can add another uh, futures long or futures short as we approach the uh, strike price that we sold or that we bought. You know, if we're doing uh, just a, an outright call, if you're being outright long a call, I don't tend to do many of those, but if you're long a call, you can, as it approaches the strike price, you wanna be looking for a place maybe to take a profit. If it goes deep in the money, that's better. Deep in the money, meaning that call that you own is more profitable. And uh, so in answer, uh, answering your question, it doesn't affect my clients as much. I don't really have uh, uh, clients right now trading equity futures or fixed income futures. So those big movements there, although the reports that I'm talking about, the unemployment reports, the FOMC federal uh, uh, interest rate reports, they have been affecting gold and silver as well. And I think that might have been what uh, you know put the bottom in in silver uh, the last couple of months. A little bit of inkling that we're closer to the, the top end of them raising interest rates than you know, then just midway through, we'll have to wait and see what happens into 2023. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, th this strategy is, is pretty interesting. So, you know, why don't we, we take it down and take it back to, to, I guess, more of a surface level understanding of, of futures trading and whatnot. So, you know, it seems like, you know, options trading got really popularized during the whole COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of, you know, millennials and people my age and maybe even younger kind of got into it. But, you know, what are some of the benefits that you see of futures trading? And, you know, why is it a strategy that you've kind of been drawn to? The, uh, the main difference between futures and equities that some of your uh, viewers will be uh, possibly trading options on metals companies or options on industrials or on uh, technology companies. The main difference with futures is the leverage involved. And the leverage involved is the good part of futures, but it's the bad part of futures. And it dictates that we meet suitability requirements for our clients, that they meet certain suitability requirements because using this leveraged vehicle, these leveraged derivatives, there's risk involved, there's risk of loss involved in trading futures and options on futures. All right, now that set aside already are acknowledged. Answer to your question is, that because of the leverage, the returns on invested capital can be many times what somebody might expect from uh, doing a call option on a, on a particular equity or particular stock index or something like that, that's not a futures contract. Okay, so that's the rationale or that's the reason that I sit in a futures chair rather than a stock chair that uh, the, the quick, easy example is if you, you know, talk about one contract of silver and we can, I guess, just kind of maybe use that as a quick, easy example. At $22, a contract of silver, it's 5,000 ounces. That's $110,000. So uh, one of your listeners has to invest $110,000 if they could buy that at the futures price, which they can't. They can with a futures contract, but you can't go to your coin dealer and say, 
I want 5,000 ounces of silver at $22. Well, today, Brandon, it's $23. It went up a dollar today. All right, but let's say at the start of the day, $22 an ounce times 5,000 ounces, it's $110,000 cash, okay? My futures clients can trade one contract or two contracts or five contracts or whatever they've got, you know, suitable, whatever they're suitable to trade for $9,350 a contract. So you can see the difference, $110,000 of cash total contract value or, you know, under $10,000 of margin deposit. So, and the options are indicative of that leverage as well. So if you uh, buy a futures contract and you sell a call that's $2 out of the money, you might end up getting 50 cents, depending on how much time you're selling or 60 cents. Well, in futures, because it's a 5,000 ounce contract, okay, every penny is worth $50. Well, if you collect 60 cents, you collect $3,000. Okay, well, $3,000 is 33% of the contract value of the uh, margin requirement you know the margin requirements $9,300 and you collect $3,000 well if you buy futures and you sell a call $2 out of the money and you collect you know 60 cents you're $3,000 ahead you know or 33% ahead not counting fees trading fees and uh, NFA regulatory fees which are very minimal so that's the big difference uh, sitting in a futures chair rather than you know having your uh, viewers Go to the coin shop, pluck down $110,000. And the way the margin, the way the return works is that if the margin is $9,300, every, because it's a 5,000 ounce contract, every dollar that silver moves in your favor, higher in this case, is $5,000. So the easy arithmetic is a $2 move doubles your money, doubles your return on investment. 100% return every $2 up at the current margin rate. Well, the same $2 move, if you had the 5,000 cash physical ounces, that same $10,000 move would be a 10% return on 110,000. It'd be a little less than 10%, maybe eight and a half percent return. So there's the beauty in futures. That's the good side. The bad side is futures, every time it moves either up or down, one side wins and one side loses. So the person that's benefiting He's benefiting directly from the other side of the contract trade. There's a buyer and a seller for each contract. And the, benef the benefactor, if the price of silver moves higher today, the person that's long gets paid from the person that's short at the end of every day. The money transfers from the losing side to the winning side. So you don't have to wait to you know, sell your futures contract like you would have to sell your 5,000 ounces or a portion of the 5,000 ounces to realize return on equity, so to speak. In futures, if you make that $2, you make that $10,000, okay, $5,000 per dollar because it's 5,000 ounces, all right, your open trade equity is $10,000 if it moved $2 in your favor, and it's moved $4 in Long's favors since the September so it's it's up nicely and the return on investment if if you want to use the word gets supercharged if you're on the right side of the trade with the futures with a leverage derivative but if you're on the wrong side it's the same amount that you're losing the only thing is your broker can use ways to protect you from losing you know by using stop loss orders you know either if you're long or if you're short or you can uh get an option to protect yourself if you're short the futures 
you can buy a call that'll protect yourself in case the futures uh, start to rally, those kind of things. But that's the rationale or that's the reason I'm in a futures chair rather than a, you know, I guess in this example, rather than in a, a physical metals chair, you know, selling people 5,000 ounces of physical silver. Now those guys are doing great because the premiums have gone higher, but uh, to much to the chagrin of the investor that has to pay that, you know, that premium, those higher premiums. But that's the that's the rationale that why futures, in my opinion, can really help a speculator with risk capital. And I emphasize risk capital, meaning money that you can afford that goes against you because of the leverage involved. The returns can be they can be very exciting at times. Yeah, and I mean, that, that that's awesome. And, you know, I definitely see that the positives and, you know, the, the potential, you know, for the gain there. But another th aspect of you that I think is really interesting is like, it's not only the the futures contracts of, you know, potential equities um, that that is kind of, you know, interesting and unique. It's also the commodities aspect of it. And it seems like you really analyze the commodities, especially silver. So, you know, how did you kind of get into that realm? And, you know, uh, we've we've seen kind of uh, a little bit of run, of run from uh, the treasuries uh, kind of running up. So, you know, why do you think that is? Well, the treasuries running up, uh, it's like a teeter totter. So we uh, kind of bottomed out in treasury bonds uh, earlier this year. I think I've got it written down here. Let's see. The uh, low was made at the 118 level and we're trading today at 129. Well, so that means that the 30-year treasury bond bottomed out at the lows when the interest rates were probably 3% or so. And they rallied up to like four and a quarter, 4.35% in the 30-year treasury bond. Well, now as the price rallies, it's like a teeter-totter with the uh, interest rate on one side and the price on the other. As the interest rate goes up, the price of the bond goes down. That's an easy way to visualize it in your head. And the price of the treasury actually rebounded a little bit. It's off that the totter from the teeter-totter is off the ground a little bit because we've come back and rates have dropped. Well, the rates have dropped maybe. Now, once again, the Fed doesn't set the rate of a treasury bond or a, a treasury note. They can set the price of the federal funds rate that their federal reserve member banks borrow from the Fed. All right, the market sets the interest rate on the treasury bonds and on the treasury notes, the 10 year, the five year, the 30 year, if you will. So um, you're uh, making a nice connection in that gold and silver don't really offer a return like a, on a, an interest rate return on your savings or on a CD, or you know somebody might invest in a fixed income or in an equity product that uh, generates what's known as a dividend. They share part of their profits with their uh, shareholders, their owners. And one interesting thing is that uh, I've got this uh, company in my portfolio, First Majestic, First Majestic Silver recently, probably in the last two quarters, started paying a little itty, itty bitty dividend. And maybe it'll go up as they start you know, generating more profits as the price of silver and the price of gold go higher. But um, as the rate of interest rate starts to increase, the, the holding cost for holding an ounce of gold or, an ounce, or many ounces of silver, it uh, kind of goes against somebody that might be saying, 
Well, I'm holding this metal, not a rock. People call it a rock, but I'm holding this metal and I'm not getting generating a return. So my answer to that is, well, hold some of the metal if you want to for a, a chance at a capital gain, which is better than a dividend from the, a point of uh, income tax. You know, what you have to pay better depending on people's uh, tax brackets or tax situations, but hold some, you know, don't hold 100% equities and don't hold 100% gold or 100% silver, have a mix, whatever you feel comfortable in, because uh, it's my opinion that the potential for a capital gain in silver from 17, $18, uh, you know, $16, uh, gold was 1600 and some dollars here uh, in the last month that the potential for a capital gain is pretty, pretty good if, you know, the, the people that are in charge, the government people that are in charge, the Federal Reserve, things like that, the Congress, if they really mess things up when we owe $31 trillion. So um, that's one of the macros that I, you know, try and keep an eye on in terms of what our deficit is, what Congress is doing to maintain that deficit, or what has been you know, the last 12 years increase the debt. And uh, I think every trillion dollars that the deficit goes up adds to the potential that silver can go up. You know, silver is a, a halfway uh, thought of monetary metal and half of it is thought of as an industrial metal. So, and coins are somewhere in between. People are holding coins maybe to have a capital gain, but maybe because the industry side is getting bigger and bigger and uh, the monetary side might get bigger and bigger if the dollar starts uh, having some weakness. So several of those things, the value of the dollar, what Congress is doing, what the Federal Reserve is doing, what uh, the government is doing, and what the marketplace is doing. And that kind of helps me uh, try and analyze things, you know, quick and dirty uh, on a daily basis, if you will, and uh, decide if it's time to add or time to pare back a little bit. I think it's a good time to add. Yeah, and it always seems like, you know, during the downswings, it is, you know, a, a pretty good time to add. But, you know, I, I'm curious how you view this cycle, because, you know, you talked about uh, you know, the deficit obviously rapidly increasing. Um, you know, we had a lot of QE the past, you know, a couple years or so um, with 2020, the COVID pandemic, a lot of money printing, what have you. Um, but how does this kind of differ from other, you know, cycles? I mean, we've seen... You know, you've seen 2000, the dot-com boom, you know, 2008, um, and, and a few others. So, you know, how are, how are you kind of viewing this one compared to some of the others? It depends on what metric you want to choose to analyze, Brandon. And uh, I guess that would, be, you know, I would go back to the asset class. If your asset class that you favor is equities, well, you know that uh, the Dow Jones can be 35, 36,000. But you also know the Dow Jones can be 900 or 1,000, not in, uh, you know, in recent, recent history, but things can, you know, there can be some grief involved. If your asset class that you're looking at is uh, high tech stocks, we've seen the NASDAQ drop almost percent from the highs uh, to the recent lows. It's bounced off that a little bit. But some of the companies that make up the NASDAQ 100 index, I'm not, I'm not licensed to talk about stocks, but so I'll just speak in generalities. Some of those stocks that make up that index are off 40 or 45% or 50% from their highs. All right. Now, um, we've been visiting a little bit about one asset class that I have an affinity for, and that is metals. 
silver is off its highs by more than 50%, okay? At the same time that I think the government has uh, things kind of mixed up a little bit, and the high in silver twice has been 49 to $50, and half of that is 25, and I'm on record on Twitter saying that silver is a, a, a buy under $25, a steal under $20 you know, a very good buy under $20, a Kmart green light, blue light special, if you will. So depending on how you want to analyze, what asset class you want to analyze uh, can determine, you know, what, you know, how you want to view things. If you want to view things on a technical basis, which means, you know, price action, uh, you could say, you could simply say that some of those NASDAQ stocks are in the same place that silver is in. Well, maybe, you know, from a technical side, you might make that, you know, that, equivalent statement, but I don't see it the same. I see it the same that silver has a real promising future in from the technical side in EVs that uh, some governments are mandating, including ours, that people have to have EVs starting in 2030 or 2035. Also, solar panels have got a worldwide uh, bid underneath them, it seems like. Because of the obvious, uh, people can make their uh, utility bills uh, retract a little bit in, you know, sunbelt areas if they want to use solar. And solar cells uh, can use some parts of silver. Um, all electronics from the phone you have probably on your desk to the TV that you might have in your uh, den use uh, silver solder, things like that. So I think silver has got a very promising future from a price that doesn't make sense to me when uh, a very prominent uh, mining uh, chief executive says it comes out of the ground at seven ounces of silver for each ounce of gold. And we've been trading 80 to 90 on a, a gold divided by silver basis. People call it a gold silver ratio. That's exactly what it is. You divide the price of uh, gold by the price of silver and it's been 90, it's down to 80 or around 80. I didn't look today. But it's down to around 80 because silver has, since September, actually outperformed the price of gold on a percentage return basis. So um, people get to do, you know, each investor, each viewer gets to do their own analysis. I would just offer, uh, I'm kind of here to answer some questions and to maybe prompt a few people to consider if there's suitability, re you know, requirements of net worth and income uh, would allow them to maybe look at putting a portion of their investable assets in a leveraged derivative uh, account. It, it can work for them nicely, or I certainly, you know, understand when people say, no, I'm real happy with my tech stocks. I understand that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, the diversification, obviously, you know, during this time could be, could be something that's advantageous. And especially, you know, when we've kind of seen the, the demise of tech recently, you know, we've seen tech stocks down 80 to 90%, some crazy, crazy numbers in the past year, um, just kind of falling apart. So, you know, have you got, I guess, kind of seen more of a demand and more of, I guess, a, a hunger for this kind of information that you're, that you're talking about right now? I think the big money, to be honest with you, where the big flows that move market pricing is, price levels that move price levels, the big money are institutions. And those institutions are people that trade life insurance or, or pension fund money, things like that. And I think that they have got investable models that 
that they take their total assets under management, AUM, and then they allocate to different sectors. And there's a gentleman, I don't want to speak for him, but I will mention his name. His name is Rick Rule. He's a very wise, very experienced, retired gentleman now, I believe, that is starting his own, uh, I think, uh, Rick Rule channel. And his opinion is, and I would call his call his opinion, his expert opinion, almost to the point of being factual, that rather than just an opinion, his opinion is, is that the assets under management allocated to the metals are historically very low. And he thinks that if they would just get back to the norm, that we would see a bounce because of more big money flows coming into the uh, from assets under management into the space, the space meaning the gold space or the silver space. I don't know if it includes uh, platinum and palladium. I'm not quite sure, but I would uh, certainly think that uh, not speaking for Mr. Rule, but certainly think that he's thinking that uh, assets under management can increase in the precious metals, which I view it as gold and silver space. They can increase in the next bull market. And I think we're starting a next bull market. I think it's actually started. And uh, I think I assume that we will see money chasing performance. And as money chases performance, I think that uh, we could see the silver chart doing better over the next several months. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, it's interesting. So you called it a bull market. So you, do you mean like a bull market as far as precious metals go, like, you know, gold and silver? Or do you mean just a bull market kind of in general and as overall, like the, the overall economy? Yeah, I want to be careful, I guess, because uh, a, a bull market doesn't mean every asset class. OK, I think that uh, there's a double bottom on the bond chart. If people want to look at that, the bond chart I refer to is a 30 year T-bond. Uh, we have a 10-year Treasury note uh, contract as well, but uh, you can, you know, what what your uh, viewers have a passion for or have a experience in, they can look at their own, uh, you know, field of interest. Uh, I thought we were, you know, talking a little bit about metals here, and that's kind of what I was trying to describe. I think that uh, the low uh, in silver is September 1st, and I've been on record how I try to, you know, kind of analyze or impart my risk reward calculation to folks is such that I use a risk reward analysis. How much do I see near-term downside versus near-term upside? And I hit it right on the head here in the last uh, three months or so. I, I, you know, I've been, uh, I've published tweets on Twitter saying, we've got a dollar, dollar fifty downside. We've got three to four dollars upside. Well, we're more than four dollars off the bottom today at today's high. So that that's a home run call. I'm not patting my back, uh, my hand on my back. It's I get lucky with this call and I've been wrong and wrong as well, but I'm quick to be, you know, to be honest and open when I'm on the wrong side. But I think that, uh, you know, looking forward in specifically silver and gold, I think gold's got uh, a high coming and high in gold is about 2079. I think we can get through that. And if we get through that, we can see, uh, maybe in the next year or two, $2,500 gold. That's my longer term forecast. That's not my short term forecast. In silver, it's a little bit easier because we're so low. Gold is only, you know, $300 off the high. Silver is, you know, it's more than half still below the high. Half is 25. Uh, 25 is half of 50. And we're 23 bucks today, just a little under 23 probably as we're talking. I don't have it on now. I've got my computer on in front of me. 
But uh, so from $23, that's a that's been a big level for me. That was my second resistance level. My first one was 21, and then I said 23, and we're going to be there. I don't know if we're going to close above 23 tomorrow, Brandon, but uh, if we close above 23 at the end of December, uh, it looks forward. I look forward to seeing 25 plus uh, shortly, you know, maybe first quarter of uh, 2023 for a short term call. Long term call, silver has a very bright future, in my opinion. And there's uh, there are nice strategies to trade covered calls on silver for the next uh, the next several quarters, in my opinion. Yeah, and so it's interesting too because you you seem very intrigued by you know the silver markets, but the way you're describing it, you know, it's it's only a a dollar or two kind of change here here or there. It's not the extreme volatility that that you know a lot of uh, I guess newer traders have kind of been accustomed to with you know this massive amounts of volatility that's kind of come into the market. So you know, as your view kind of always been, you know, hit those singles, those doubles, and what have you, um, and kind of keep stacking it. Or well, do you, you know the ways you can hit like home runs in some of these? Well, I think that if I asked you, Brandon, what is a home run return annualized? Uh, let me just ask you that. Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. No, I, don't I'm just asking, I mean, what would you consider to be a home run? Is a home well, run 20% annualized? Yeah, probably. I mean, like I, so I'm a little different, I guess, than, than maybe the, uh, maybe some of my listeners, because, okay. you know, I actually got in the market because I've, started this early on with a with a friend um, who kind of just got into uh, investing around the start of 2020. So he was, you know, kind of complaining that a couple of his stocks weren't doing that well, and they were only up 20% at the time. Okay. So for me, I was like, well, you know, I kind of got started in this where I was expecting, I think I started investing in 2016 or so. So it was like, you know, still a good time, but yeah, S and P five hundred was up like seven to twelve percent on average. You know, during that time period when I first started, so you know, twenty percent to me sounds like a home run. But it's also, you know, I I also got to ask the question: what what's it relative to? You know, if it's if you're getting a twenty percent return and the rest of the market is up, you know, fifty percent, then no, I wouldn't say it's really a home run hit. It, but if it's a twenty percent return and the rest of the market is you know, 11% return or 12%. Sure. Return no, that's, that's very fair. I guess um, I would say um, my pencil is pretty sharp is one way to say it. I would say that if your viewers of, of this uh, particular uh, podcast that we're doing today, if every one of your viewers was up 20% year to date, I think people would be ecstatic. Probably not many are because I'm going to guess, I'm, I don't know your podcast audience, but I'm going to guess that the majority of people are probably marked to a model, an investment model that some people like to say 60-40, including their 401ks or their IRAs. And 60-40 might 60% equities, 40% fixed income. And uh, your listeners, maybe you've got a, a pretty sophisticated uh, audience. Maybe they have 10 or 20% uh, allocated to um, precious metals, because, you know, you talk about that. Um, we have not talked about crypto, and I don't really want to talk about crypto, but I know that uh, on some of your uh, uh, Twitter Spaces events, you have a high number of folks that are well-versed in cryptocurrencies, okay? And that has been a big asset class for the last five years. 
and it may be a, a continue to be a, a big asset class for the next five years. But I didn't come on today to talk about crypto. But my what my point in mentioning it is that maybe some of your sophisticated uh, viewership audience, if you will, uh, has an allocation to you know some different types of asset classes than what I'm talking about. Okay. And uh, I would say 20%. That's the reason I ask is 20% a home run. Um, I don't think in futures 20% is a home run, but I think that more than 20% in futures can be classified as a home run. This year, I think if uh, clients, if futures people were up 20%, I think they'd be pretty happy. So uh, the leverage helps. But understand that you're taking more risk with a futures contract. So my risk reward uh, mentioned moments ago, you know, I said to, uh, I brought up a dollar, dollar fifty downside in silver. Well, that's seventy five hundred dollars is a dollar fifty downside. Okay, seventy five hundred dollars on a nine thousand dollar margin is a pretty big loss. Okay, but we're at twenty three dollars, so it I, it turned out to work out in my favor. And uh, if I've got clients in silver, which I do, um, that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, my folks are pretty happy today and we'll see what happens tomorrow. We didn't quite make it to uh, a, a positive over 22. We did last night at five o'clock. How the futures work is they start before they start on a Sunday night at six o'clock and they trade until the following day, Monday at five o'clock Eastern time. Then they break for an hour. Then they'll start. Tuesday's trade will start at six o'clock Monday evening. Well, so today was December 1st. It would have been nice to close above $22 yesterday to make it the close for November, but we're going to get it on a weekly chart. It's going to show up on the weekly chart. So it's there. It's just that some people, you know, fewer people might look at a weekly than at a, a daily chart. That's the only difference. I gotcha. Well, that that's all great and well. So we, we do, like you mentioned, it it has just turned December 1st. We got one last month of 2022 here. And then we kind of roll into 2023 with a lot of, you know, uncertainties in the market and, and other things like that. So, you know, you've already kind of mentioned it a little bit briefly here, but, um, you know, what is your, I guess, overall outlook for 2023? Um, you mentioned it. You you kind of think that the the precious metals might be uh, amongst or are pretty close to another bull market. Um, so yeah, I guess what's the overall outlook for next year, and uh, you know how are you gonna keep positioning yourself? Um, you know, Brandon, before I mention, before I try and answer that question, could I cover one quick uh, part part of futures that people some understand and some kind of misunderstand? Would that be okay? Yeah, please do. It's the delivery process, okay? Now, when I say deliveries, um, people have all sorts of opinions. Some are truthful, factual. Some are just opinions, and they don't really know what they're talking about. Delivery means we trade some things that are deliverable and some things that aren't. For example, live cattle contract is deliverable, meaning you can stand and get live cattle if you're in that business, if you're a, a packing plant, if you're a cattle rancher. But feeder cattle contract isn't. Feeder cattle is settled in cash. Okay, crude oil is deliverable, but it's a 42,000, it's a 1,000 barrel, 42 gallons per barrel. It's a 42,000 gallon contract, 1,000 barrels. And not one person I know of is suitable to take delivery of crude oil. Okay, so you have to know what you're doing, you know, when you talk about uh, physically settled or uh, deliverable contracts. 
gold and silver are deliverable. And I just want to bring it up because people on Twitter for the last several years, um, there's a, a small faction of folks on Twitter that says delivery never happens. It's a scam. It's a bunch of nonsense. It never happens. Yes. They call it the Crimex exchange instead of the Comex exchange. Well, the Comex exchange is just the exchange where trading happens. The Comex facilitates a short and a long to do business. Okay. And at the end of every month, like for the example, the uh, end of November just happened. And first notice day for delivery for the December contracts was two days ago. Okay. So uh, today's gone. So today's the second day in delivery, December 1st. So the first notice day was November 30th. All right. So people can start delivering. And a bunch did. A bunch of people delivered silver contracts. More people delivered gold contracts. And the people that are on Twitter, they seem to think that, well, there's no silver there being delivered. Well, they're wrong. All right. So I wanted to make sure that I you know, brought it to your audience's attention that the people that are short the silver to the delivery period are people that own the silver. They own the physical silver. They entered a short contract to deliver their silver, in essence, to take a profit or to unwind their 5,000 ounces, their five 1,000 ounce bars of silver to a speculator that wants delivery. And why does somebody want delivery? Well, there's one man on Twitter, and I've got to hand it to this guy. He's a terrific uh Terrific ingenuity, terrific foresight and planning. He buys the bars, Brandon. He invested in some saws or some laser cutters recently. He cuts up the bars and sells them to the retail people on Twitter and makes a profit. It's the neatest thing that you can imagine that somebody with a little bit of foresight and spunk is uh, using cash to take delivery of silver, cutting up the silver and making a profit on the silver, not to compete necessarily with the big online dealers, but to offer chunks of silver or a little knickknacks if he melts them down and he causes, he makes some shapes and he's doing it. He's making, I, I hope he's making a living. I hope he's making a good living. And uh, I uh, give him uh, kudos every once in a while on his posts on uh, Twitter. Uh, I hope you make a ton, basically, is what I'm saying. So I, that, I wanted to cover the delivery uh, just, uh, you know, uh, as in passing so your people could know that if they don't understand it, I'm I'm here to help. I'll, you know, I'll answer questions on a direct message or on a Twitter post or something like that to the best of my ability. Delivery happens every single month. There are main months where on the COMEX exchange where the open interest is there and uh, they don't always coincide gold and silver. Those particular months aren't always the same, but they are in December. There's a common high number of traders that trade in the December contract for both gold and silver. So the uh, deliveries are underway and they'll go till probably the 27th or 28th of December. I don't, I've got it on a calendar. I didn't write it down for this broadcast, but uh, delivery will happen for the most of the month of uh, December. Uh, Please understand when there's holidays, those holidays uh, stop delivery. It'll be the day after the day before. The short gets to decide. The man that owns the silver gets to decide when he trades silver for the longs cash. The long post cash, the short post silver, and they just swap through their uh, futures commission merchants. And it uh, takes two days to settle the futures. And then the next day they physically change, exchange the uh, title to the silver or the gold for cash between the, the two participants, between the long and the short. So 
Don't take delivery of crude oil ever, folks. If you're listening, never, never, never. It's each swimming pool, if you've got one in the back air yard, might be 12,000 gallons. Uh, I already mentioned it's a 42,000 gallon uh, contract. Uh, you're going to have a lot of folks after you if you want to store crude oil in your backyard. So please use a reputable broker that won't get you involved in delivery on crude oil or gasoline or natural gas or something like that. Okay, uh, back to what your uh, question is, I guess, and we can kind of wrap up a little bit. I think that energy can do a little bit better. I think that uh, as energy goes a little higher, it causes the cost of production at some of these mines to go higher. And I don't foresee uh, increases in cost of production being bearish for gold, the price of an ounce of gold or the price of an ounce of silver. They've got to make money, otherwise they stop producing, Brandon. If they stop producing, the supply dwindles and the demand, I already mentioned the demand, maybe not so much for gold, although there's central bank demand for gold, there's investor demand for gold, but there's industrial demand for silver. And I think that's gonna heat up. I think that that'll increase uh, you know, on a percentage basis uh, through the years over the next three to five to 10 years. And uh, you know, coinciding with more EVs being produced, more color TVs, more Apple and uh, Google phones, that kind of thing. And uh, so I think that uh, there's a bright future that, you know, if people are so inclined to buy dips and uh, buy lower prices when they happen in gold, lower prices in silver, natural gas got a little bit ahead of itself this summer and traded to almost $10. Then it traded lower. Uh, it made a low in, uh, let's see, Made a low in October of $5.64, almost a 50% natural gas. And uh, you and I, we don't have winter where we live in Florida, Brandon, but uh, my friends back home have winter and they've got their furnaces on today. And I think natural gas can do a little bit better, especially when you look at how much natural gas costs in other countries around the world. So I think the dollar, the dollar seems like it's topped just under 115 on the dollar index as a macro uh, to maybe for your listeners to take a look at. The US dollar is a worldwide currency. It's not just a US dollar. It's a worldwide currency that has a lot, carries a lot of weight in the world. If it starts to carry less weight in the world, um, the value of the dollar could you know, start to recede a little bit. The high was just under 115 and it's trading you know, 105-ish, something like that today. And it's had a little bit of a decline in the last, you know, eight weeks or so, or 10 weeks. And as the price of the dollar comes down, I think that that's another macro event that puts support back, you know, for your listeners to start looking at maybe some equities because the equities that produce product that might sell uh, some of it domestically, but they might export some of it. And that might be a gallon of gasoline or uh, some cattle or some soybeans or some wheat, something like that. Those uh, commodities can actually benefit if the price of the value of the US dollar recedes a little. Under uh, 104, the dollar looks to me like it's topped. Under 100 uh, on the dollar index, some people call it the DXY, if you wanna follow it. Under 100, I think commodities get a little bit of a boost. Well, that's awesome stuff. And uh, that's a great outlook. And I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the Tuesday Night Spaces and sharing your wisdom with us. So, Jim, thank you so much. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and what you got going on? 
Um, you can reach me on Twitter. Uh, my um, name or my handle is uh, shown in the uh, video under me there, at JimSuncom1. You can reach me there. You can send me a direct message. You can follow me. I've had a lot of uh, uh, posted tweets that go over examples, that talk about leverage, that talk about risk, those kind of things. I will try and answer people's questions. I'm not uh, I don't feel comfortable because I don't have the right kind of license to talk about stocks or uh, mutual funds or ETFs, exchange traded funds or limited partnerships. And uh, but I, I can certainly uh, opine on futures contracts, on leverage, on risk reward, those kind of things. And uh, I've got room for a few more people. If a few more people wanted to ask about, you know, having a futures account, I've got room for that. And I am going to trade for a few more years. Uh, I'm not 100 years old, but I'm getting up there. But uh, I've got, you know, a few more years in my uh, in my uh, repertoire, I guess, for trading. I, I'm good at it. I, I certainly understand. I've lost money for folks. I've made money for folks, and I know the difference. And uh, there's ample time you know the the decisions to make are what you decide to trade when you're going to trade it and then which way those are the the three big variables what when and which way you know and then you got to add timing in there that that kind of adds to the when but the the obvious answer is when you're in an uptrend you want to be you know trying buying dips and be long when you're in a downtrend you want to be you know selling uh, rallies or try and be short that, that's kind of it in a nutshell Yep. So everybody give him a follow on Twitter at JimSuncom1 on Twitter. And I'll put that in the show notes. Jim, thank you so much. I hope to, I hope you stay warm and uh, maybe we'll grab a coffee or a beer sometime. That'd be great, Brandon. We're not that far apart. It'd be great to do that. And uh, it'd be fun to do another podcast in the future if, if your audience uh, would like that. Yeah, for sure. You'll definitely welcome back on. So Jim, thank you so much. Thank you, sir, for your time. I